This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. The Informer Daily is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. At Joy 94.9, we'd like to pay our ongoing respects to Elders past, present and emerging. The Informer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. And of course, the members and donors of Joy 94.9. You can help us by visiting joy.org.au and become a member or donate. Any amount helps us bring you community-powered radio. Thank you. Today is Wednesday, the 25th of March, 2020. This is the Informer Daily, and I'm your host, Arian Potts. Today, your COVID-19 update, including the latest news from both Canberra and Wellington. Telephone networks and the internet went a little bit haywire yesterday. We get some info on what happened and how it's being fixed. Michael O'Brien, the Victorian opposition leader, talks about support for small businesses and how politicians are cooperating across party lines and across the nation. Sophie McNeil has an amazing new book out. We talked to her about it. But first, this news. This is Dee Mason with the Joy 94.9 COVID-19 update. Prime Minister Scott Morrison has announced a national COVID-19 commission tasked with solving problems in both private and public sectors. The commission will be headed by Neville Power, head of mining giant Fortescue Group. The commission will act as a direct link between the private sector and the government, allowing CEOs to approach the government with their ideas on how to deal with the economic fallout of COVID-19. All non-urgent elective surgeries will be suspended from midnight tonight in order to preserve resources such as personal protection equipment and allow health services to prepare for more COVID-19 cases. New Zealand has declared a state of emergency following 50 new cases of COVID-19 being confirmed today. This will increase government powers, opening up the possibility of military patrols to ensure people are adhering to self-isolation measures. The country is now preparing to go into full lockdown from midnight tonight for a minimum of four weeks. Further restrictions on social gatherings will be coming into effect at midnight tonight as stage two of the COVID-19 response comes into effect in an attempt to slow down the continuing spread. These restrictions include the closure of amusement parks, arcades, community and recreation centres, museums, libraries and nail salons. Although weddings and funerals will be allowed to go ahead, limits on numbers apply. Only five people at weddings, including the couple and the celebrant, and only 10 people at funerals. Despite these increased restrictions on gatherings, the federal government is still advising that schools should remain open. Australians will be banned from travelling overseas as part of the new restrictions. A small number of people have been defying the do not travel warnings issued by the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Once the ban is in place, travel will only be allowed for aid workers or for work-related, compassionate or other essential travel. In order to get information out to all Australians, the federal government will be rolling out more technical measures like sending texts with links to essential information, updates on new restrictions and guides on how to apply for welfare. Most Virgin and Tiger Air flights have been suspended, with Virgin Airways cutting 90% of its domestic services. This move will see 8,000 staff members stood down until at least the end of May. 
The Tokyo 2020 Olympics have been postponed until 2021. Japan's Prime Minister Shinzo Abe said that the Olympics will act as a symbol of mankind's victory over coronavirus. The Games will still carry the 2020 branding. India has entered a complete lockdown amid warnings that over one million Indians could be infected with COVID-19 by mid-May. For the next 21 days, the world's second most populous country will no longer allow residents to leave their homes for any reason. No comment has been made on what this will mean for the estimated 300 million Indians who live below the poverty line. And the World Health Organization has warned that the United States could become the new COVID-19 epicenter. But President Donald Trump has said during a virtual town hall aired on Fox News that he wants America opened up and back to work by Easter in two weeks' time. He says that he wants to see packed churches on Easter Sunday, which public health experts have warned would be a mistake. Looking to the states, while outlining the new restrictions in place for stage two of the COVID-19 response, Victorian Premier Dan Andrews warned that there will be a stage three in the state. Andrews said that states would be needing to take individual measures because the pandemic is at a different stage in every state. Strict travel restrictions in WA will see people arriving in the state by car needing to self-isolate in whichever border town they arrive through, either Ookla or Kununurra. The WA state government is also drafting legislation that could ban travel between regions. Exemptions will be in place for essential travel, including fly-in, fly-out mining workers coming in from other states. And Tasmania has followed Victoria's lead in closing schools early. The state is bringing school holidays forward by four days, meaning that schools will be closed from April 6. Tasmanian Premier Peter Goodwin has also flagged tougher border controls, which will see non-essential travellers into the state who do not have a place of residence being directed to government-provided accommodation, where they will stay for the duration of their 14-day self-isolation. This accommodation will be paid for by the traveller. If you suspect you have COVID-19, contact the dedicated hotline at 1800 675 398. For additional information, call the Coronavirus Health Information Line on 1800 020 080. This is the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9 and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. First up today, there's a lot of really good advice being given out about physical distancing, social isolation, etc. for really everyone in the community, but especially for people living with HIV and other conditions. So I'd just like to point you to the latest information, which is on ACON's website or Thorn Harbor Health. They've got a number of resources, including a really, really good one on Thorn Harbor Health's site about how you can have safe sex during COVID-19. So those websites are acon.org.au, that's A-C-O-N.org.au, and Thorn Harbor Health, which is thornharbor.org, that's T-H-O-R-N-E-H-A-R-B-O-U-R.org. All circuits at the location you are calling are busy now. I don't know about you, but here at the Informer Daily, we had a lot of trouble making telephone calls yesterday. Calling people on different networks in different states all proved a bit challenging, and a few of us had to dial, dial, and redial before getting the call to ring. Chris Duckett from ZDNet explains what's going on, and also why your streaming services might be a little bit blurry. I had a lot of trouble making telephone calls yesterday. What happened? Well, basically, you sort of had the uh, had the analog of what was going on at the lines at Centrelink. So, 
Um, by the end of the day, Telstra had fessed up and said that it was seeing an unprecedented number of calls to government um, 1-800 and 1,300 numbers. And basically, the system just collapsed due to the traffic load. The thing to keep in mind is that the amount of voice minutes that people have been using over the years have been trending down. So if you just look at it on a graph, you imagine a line going down and then there's massive spike coming out of nowhere. That's probably what Telstra engineers were seeing yesterday. That amount of congestion is is very rare, but at the same time, it was really frustrating. Oh, look, it, you know, it, it, it can only build on frustration people already have. I mean, you also, too, I mean, as a result of Telstra, it also started impacting other networks on Optus. You know, Optus was trying to make Optus customers trying to make calls into Telstra customers and all that sort of thing. Um, it doesn't help in this sort of situation. Um, Telstra also said that they were upgrading the, the capacity of their voice services the only problem with that was is that they had to remove that capacity in order to upgrade it. But I, well, you know, it's kind of like you don't want to fix the car when it's running because it's kind of dangerous. So same sort of thing with network engineering. Um, but I sort of had a look at this, uh, one of the crowdsourced outage sites just before jumping on. And it seems like Telstra uh, is handling it a lot better today. We're also seeing things like Netflix, YouTube, etc reducing the amount of data that they're using because of network congestion is there spare capacity in the nbn i've heard some things about that yeah so lo- last week nbn said it would give all the retailers 40 percent extra capacity on the network um people have been saying that this is because of all the work from home sort of stuff it's really not because the peak in the network before coronavirus hit and even still now is still at 9 p.m it's that when everybody's sort of chilling out watching you know streaming services that's the problem and so netflix is netflix and the other streamers are basically turning down the quality of their streams basically to stop that 9 p.m cap reaching the capacity of the networks and in some cases that means that they're turning it down to uh, SD quality. In some cases, other streamers are just not streaming 4K. And overnight, uh, the content distribution network, Akamai, said that they were going to slow down game downloads because similarly, when a new game comes out, everyone's computer or Xbox or whatever they have starts downloading all these massive gigabyte downloads and basically it creates another spike in the network. That's you know another content type that the uh, internet players are working on to make sure that the whole thing stays working. What are some ways that people can get around this? Unfortunately, with something like the case of Centrelink, um, <laughs> you know, the actual, the actual, yeah. I mean, we've known the phone lines have been hosed for years. I mean, especially with things like RoboDebt and stuff. Um, and that hold but, music yeah. that just repeats the same piece of classical music over and over yeah. and over. Oh. Yeah, there's really, I mean, in that case, there's really no better advice than roll the dice, try again later, try and get when there's, you know, maybe you'll be lucky. Um, but basically, for, for home users, the people on the infrastructure side are kind of taking care of this for you. I mean, you're not going to have to do anything particular with Netflix to sort of, you know, Netflix are taking care of turning down the quality. You just continue doing what you're doing. Um, looking at the network graphs I've seen, there is still capacity in the network. We haven't seen anything in Australia that looks like uh, any of the players are having issues. So I would say, uh, rarely for one of these situations, I would say just keep on trucking because the people behind the scenes are taking care of all this stuff for us. So there is capacity, it just may have to be rationed a little bit at times. Well, 
I mean, even this morning, MBN sort of announced that they were boosting the data allowance for satellite users. I mean, that is a connection that really is restrictive. Um, but they've, you know, they've even found ways there of getting people extra data. I wouldn't say at the moment we need to undergo any rationing. I think if, if you're on a line that is currently congested at 9pm, it's probably been that way for a while. And, and your normal situation is going to continue. I mean, I'm lucky enough that I'm on a line where I, I've sort of been sitting around going, okay, I'm waiting for the internet to, you know, start to slow down and stuff. It's actually, you know, to everyone's credit, it's actually been okay so far. So I, I don't think we're, I don't think the internet is going as bad as the other factors in, in our lives at the moment. Sure. <clears throat> um, I'm actually on FTTP on a 100 down connection um in melbourne on internode (laughs) congratulations on winning the lottery oh yeah um it 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 slowed down considerably and things are just kind of rough in general um like youtube won't work on my tv about half the time now okay because that's because a situation like that is more on the provider not the technology yep um so i've been looking at my isp uh, then my ISP is nice and transparent and produces network graphs for mm-hmm. all of its different places around Australia. Um, so I've been looking at that and I know that I've totally got headroom. Yeah. Um, but situations like that, I mean, yeah, internet is part of TPG, which is the second biggest network in the country now. So, you know, they might be having issues on their own capacity in a locale, you know, like all of Melbourne, for instance. Um, but that's something that's more on the provider and the interaction they're having with MBN rather than, you know, an overall general, the internet is failing sort of thing. So you've been working remotely for quite some time. What are some tips that (laughs) might help out people who are doing this and learning (laughs) Um, on the fly? Basically, it's things like make sure you've got barriers between when you're at home just being you and then you as the worker. So a few of the things I've seen is like make sure you are – Put on, a, put on a good shirt because that's your work shirt sort of thing. Um, go. What I found in the past couple of weeks is it's really good to go for a walk before and after um, you do work because – and sort of what you're doing there is you're sort of recreating the commute. Um, also, make sure you get off your chair. Uh, it's very, very easy to sit there for a few hours. If you're at work, you know, you typically don't, you know, there are reasons to get up and move around. Make sure you do that when you're at home. I don't know if you can hear it on the phone, but, you know, the birds are singing at, at the moment. You know, make sure you can enjoy this sort of stuff while you can and don't um, don't get trapped into, you know, I am here, I am worker, I'm going to just keep grinding this thing out. Um, because what you'll do there is you'll just end up with all the bad parts of working from home combined with the bad parts of work. You know, you're at home, you've got some added flexibility, use it. This week has been a decade long already, so who knows how much longer it's going to get. Chris Duckett from ZDNet speaking to me this morning. This is the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9 and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. As you heard Chris say earlier, it's a week that has felt like a decade. Change is coming at an incredible pace and information is changing hourly. Our politicians have, in most cases, banded together to cooperate in this crisis. I spoke to Victorian opposition leader and leader of the Victorian Liberal Party, Michael O'Brien, about support for small businesses, what he's hearing in his electorate, and how is the government going to function without a budget in May? So what's a great way to get health information? Um, 
I think the most important thing we can do at the moment is not necessarily believe everything that we we read on the internet. Um, a lot of people send around things. I get plenty of things in my inbox, in my WhatsApp group, by text from well-meaning friends, and it's um, you know, some of it's accurate and some of it's not. The best thing we can do at the moment is to go to sources of official information because that's the safest place. So uh, in Victoria, if you go to www.coronavirus.vic.gov.au, that's the official state government site for information about coronavirus. If you want to go to the federal government website, it's www.health.gov.au. So my advice would be if you've got, if you're interested in finding out information, if you're concerned about something, Go to the official websites. They'll tell it straight. Nobody's got an interest in political spin at a time like this. Um, but please go to go to the sources of facts rather than necessarily what we get sent on the internet. Yeah, and Australia.gov.au has been turned into a bit of a coronavirus hub with links to states, territories, and then you can find your local council through that as well. Um, so there's a variety of funding packages that are available from some councils, states, and federally. How do people get information on that? Yeah, look, it's, it, it can be a bit of a challenge because we, we live in a, in a federal system of government. We've got three tiers of government here in, in Australia. Um, each level of government's got different responsibilities. In an ideal world, there'd be a one-stop shop that could tell you exactly what all levels of government are doing. But you know what? This is just something that's, that's come from out of the blue. And, and so um, at the moment, we don't have the one-stop shop. Now, it's frustrating for people, but it does mean that if you if you want to find out what governments can do for you, you kind of almost need to go to each level of government to work it out. Uh, if you're in, for example, if you're in business, um, the Australian government has got a business hotline, and the number there is 132846. Now, um, the Australian government, federal government, they deal with things like income tax, like company tax, um, employee relations issues. Um, they're all the sorts of things that you can go and speak to the Australian government business hotline about. If your concern's more about a state government, so if it's about um, payroll tax, if it's about land tax, those sorts of issues, you can go to the Victorian government business hotline. That's 13 22 15. Um, and then, of course, depending on what your local council is, if you've got an issue about rates or, or local council permits, uh, then you, you contact your own local local council, whatever whatever your local government area is. So it is a bit frustrating. That's you know, people do say in Australia we're a little bit over governed with three levels of government, um, and I understand the frustration. But you know, each government is doing their best to try and help people out at this time. So you're really best to go to um, those different websites or the different phone numbers and try and get the information that's relevant to you. Yeah, it's better than in the United States where um, there's sometimes four or five levels of government. And that's why we're seeing that there's each state has their own policy and mass confusion there. So in some ways, we're more fortunate than others. What about sole traders? Is there any help specifically for them that you're aware of? Well, the, the state government announced uh, a package on Saturday um, and it said there was going to be a fund that was going to be set up uh, to try and, and help different sectors of vulnerable business. What we don't have at the moment is a lot of detail about how that's going to work. And I know that's a bit frustrating because I've had um, a lot of small businesses calling me saying, hey, look, Michael, I don't, I don't have enough staff to pay payroll tax, so a payroll tax... Uh, you know, cut doesn't help me because I don't pay it in the first place. But you know, there's me, or there's me and my partner, or there's me and my partner and one staff member. Um, how do we keep the doors open? Now, this this is supposed to be a 500 million dollar fund 
that the state government has announced, but what we just don't have at the moment is much detail about how it's going to work. Um, so my advice would be if you are a sole trader and, and you're, you're really worried about how you're going to keep the doors open, um, the state government has said it's got to create a fund. I'd call the Victorian government business hotline on 13 15 and I'd ask them for information because you know, this, this thing is changing day by day. Um, I think as, um, as you know, more... Um, that the government has more time to put structure around its announcements. Hopefully, it can start to roll that money out because I know that a lot of people are feeling pretty worried, feeling pretty desperate in some ways now. Um, we need to get that cash out the door and into the pockets of businesses to keep them open so we can keep staff in jobs. So the, the more that people can say, hey, you've, you've, you've announced a package, um, how's the, what's the detail, how do we get access to it, um, call the Victorian government you know, business hotline, 13 15, and, and you know, put a little bit of pressure on them and say, hey, um, we really need some help here. And I think hopefully that'll, that'll encourage them to, to make those decisions about how we get the money out the door. Mm. So what do you... you... You've got your ear to the ground in your local community. What are people saying generally? The um, I think everyone's been been sort of you know, hit for six years, an old cricketing expression by this. Nobody really um, have, has had to deal with something as bad as this before. Um, the uncertainty is what makes it so difficult. So I'll give you an example. I had a um, had somebody who's a Pilates instructor give me a call the other day, and they said, oh, "I've just seen the announcement that gyms have to close." Am I a gym? I don't think I'm a gym. I've got a fitness studio where I do Pilates, but is that a gym? And the fact is there wasn't any detail around the announcement as to what the definition of gym was. And this is sort of what really kills people. It's just the uncertainty. I think people understand that we're in extraordinary times, that really tough decisions have to be made. All I think people want is just some some clarity about what those decisions are and how it affects them. I don't think anybody wants to break the law. I don't think anybody wants to do anything they shouldn't be doing. They just want to know what they have to do and what they can't do. So um, I've spoken to to governments. Uh, We had a briefing yesterday with uh, the Deputy Chief Health Officer and my my plea to, to them is, look, just please be as clear as possible because people want to do the right thing. They just need to know what they can and can't do. Yeah, it'd be really helpful if these, you know, we had an idea of what stage three restric- restrictions may look like, so that people can at least know. But it also might incite panic. So, yeah, look, I, I think that you look uh, across uh, across the pond to um, to the United Kingdom, you see where they are at the moment. Um, I, I don't know if that's going to be stage three or if that's a stage four or stage five, but you know, you're talking about almost kind of lockdown there, apart from people going out for medicines, for groceries, for essentials. Um, From what I'm hearing in the community, I think many people expect us to get to that point. Um, It seems to be the way in which you stop the spread of this this virus. Um, But, you know, um, I don't get access, I'm being in opposition, I don't get access to all the public health information that the Prime Minister gets or the Premier gets. So to some extent, we have to almost just take them on a little bit of trust that they're making the right call at the right time. But, you know, I think you're right. Most people expect things to get tougher. I think the Premier and the Prime Minister have said as much. Um, What we don't know is when and what that tougher measure is going to look like. But my view, I look across to what's happening in the United Kingdom where they're pretty much in lockdown. And I figure at some point, I don't know when, but at some point, that's probably where we're going to be too.
And the same thing's been announced in India, which is on a completely different scale. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, well, look, I mean, this is something where around the world people are, are grappling with this. And um, you know, yes, of course, there's there's economic um, you know, damage done by closing down businesses. But I think, number one, we've got to put human life first. And, and number two, the sooner we can knock this virus on the head and stop its spread, and then hopefully our scientists will be able to develop vaccines and and uh, and treatments. Um, then the sooner we can start rebuilding our economy and rebuilding our community. Um, what you don't want to do is is get to devastation uh, levels and then have to rebuild from there. So I'd, I think most people are of the view they'd rather take a bit of tougher medicine now to stop the spread of the virus, to give us uh, something better to rebuild from once we're through it, rather than letting it run through the community cause havoc, devastation, and then still be facing with a rebuild but from a, a much weaker position. The federal budget's delayed till October. When is the Victorian budget due to be released at this time? Uh, look, all we know is that it's not going to be released when it was supposed to be released, which was, uh, which was in May. Um, the, um, I think all the states, territories and the federal government have all taken the view that you know, we're, because of the unprecedented times we're in at the moment, there's there's not a lot of point trying to bring down the budget right now. Um, there'll still be what they call appropriation bills. So we still need to pass laws for the government to be able to draw money to pay, uh, you know, pay doctors, pay nurses, you know, pay sanitation workers, all you know those functions of government. Um, we'll be cooperating with the Labor government. Um, you know, this is not a time for people to be Liberal or Labor. This is a time for people to be Victorians and Australians. You know, so we'll be working with the government to make sure we can get those appropriation bills through, so that we can still keep paying public servants to do important work. Um, it'll be later in the year. The federal government has said October. I would expect the state government will be after the federal government, um, maybe later in October, maybe even into November. Who knows? We, we might have a Melbourne Cup Day budget, but it's uh, we, it's it's just uncertain <laughs> at the moment. But you know, what, if we what, have horse racing, <laughs> well, well, that's that's a that's a big call, isn't it? I mean, imagine imagine Melbourne without a Melbourne Cup. Um, but I suppose if they can postpone the Olympics uh, from 2020 to 2021, anything's possible. But uh, yeah, look, I mean, it's it, we are in. in extraordinary times so it makes sense to, to push the budget back until we get a little bit better of an idea of of what we are dealing with and what the finances will look like yeah it's kind of silly to do economic forecasting right now and expect that to last through the end of the next financial year well i mean you, you look at what the, the share markets are doing i mean unbelievably they were up yesterday but you know then they're, they're off the next day it's um it, it's just too uncertain and uh yeah, when I was state treasurer, they they used to say that um, not not of not of me, but just of of budget generally. That the one thing you can be sure about a budget is that it won't be accurate, right? Because you know, you know like when you've got a sixty seventy billion dollar budget, you're never going to be a hundred percent right. So um, yeah, there's always a bit of uncertainty when it comes to budgeting, anyway. So um, yeah, that's 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 you know to the power of ten now with uh, what we're doing with the coronavirus. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, look, I, I think that um, you know we we're in tough times, but I've got great confidence that that our state now, our, our country, will get through this. And I suppose what I'm trying to do is trying to work with the government at the moment to help get us through this. But then, what I want to do is actually come up with some good ideas for how we can help rebuild, because you know it, it, this will this will change us. It will change us. 
Um, now, a lot of people are going to be out of work. A lot of businesses are going to probably close. What we need to do is work out how can we get people back on their feet, how we can get our economy strong again, how can we actually make this, you know, get through this and then have something that's optimistic to look forward to. So, you know, there's a lot of negativity in politics. What I'm really interested in doing is working out where are the big ideas that we can actually develop so that we can come through this and then make this state and this country stronger. You know, we, we, will, we will get through it. And, you know, what we need to do is have leadership, thought leadership, ideas, and we need to be a bit optimistic because, you know, this is an unprecedented challenge. But, you know what, we've come through world wars. Uh, you know, yes, it's tough, but we get through it. We, w- we will get through this. And, you know, I think that, you know, we've got, we are a creative state We've got smart people in Victoria. We've got hardworking people. We've got decent people. I've got great confidence that this state is going to come through this. And, you know, it's going to take a while, but we'll get there. Michael O'Brien speaking with me earlier today. This is the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9 and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. ABC investigative journalist Sophie McNeil has an interesting new book out. It's called We Can't Say What We Didn't Know, Dispatches from the Age of Impunity. I spoke with Sophie a few days ago. Here she is. I really try and track the last kind of um, decade in the Middle East and show how so many of these uh, international rules just are not being enforced. And I talk about all the rules being broken. And this book uh, tracks the effect that has on all these brave, amazing people in the Middle East. Um, When we allow this impunity to continue and we allow these war crimes to go unpunished and for there to be no deterrence to committing them. Um, And so this book really, you know, it's a tribute to the people I met when I was in the Middle East because they're so courageous and a lot of them risked everything to stand up for what they believed in. And um, I get so much inspiration from them. I found the story where you're talking about Dina Ali Laslum and then Rahaf Muhammad, two Saudi women who sought asylum overseas and were stopped in airports in Manila and Bangkok and you had a really deep connection in the Rahaf story. I saw Rahaf's story on Twitter when she was stuck at the airport in Bangkok and I'd remembered the story of Dina Ali who had been another Saudi woman trying to flee and her journey hadn't had ended terribly you know her family had found out because the Saudi embassy dubbed her in you know Saudis diplomats throughout the world work to enforce this terrible gender apartheid system that exists for women in Saudi Arabia and you know her uncles flew to Manila airport they taped her hands and feet together taped her mouth shut and dragged her onto a plane screaming and Dina Ali hasn't been heard of publicly since still still Mm. publicly and so when I uh, heard of Rahaf's story on Twitter I was like Jesus Christ, this is another Dina Ali. We, you know, we can't let this happen again. And I actually decided to jump on a flight and fly to Bangkok to try and document what happened to her because we didn't have proper video of what happened to Dina Ali. With yep. Human Rights Watch did a report and they interviewed the witnesses, but it would have been so powerful to have those images to show you know, what this regime does hmm. to its women citizens. And so I wanted to go there and I thought, look, also, you know, maybe a, a white woman with a phone camera yelling and asking questions saying, why are you putting her on the plane? You know, she's meant to be going to Australia. She has a visa for Australia. 
um, that this could help, you know, save a life. So it was amazing when I got to Bangkok and Rahaf was still in her hotel room. She hadn't been taken to the gate yet and I could go there and actually Rahaf ended up barricading herself in the room to avoid being forcibly sent back home. And I was barricaded in the room with her because I wanted to film the whole thing, you know. And it ended up being a Four Corners episode. But that whole chapter, you know, documents the reality of life for women in Saudi. But, you know, it is through these amazing, strong female characters. And some parts of the book, it reads like fiction. You know, you couldn't make this stuff up, but mm-hmm. it's all real. And it happened to ordinary people like you or me, people who just one one day decided, I'm going to stand up, you know, for what's right. I want to be on the right side of history. And there's Syrians, there's Yemenis, there's Saudis, there's Palestinians, there's amazing people who just risked everything to do the right thing. And I really think we, we need to learn from some of that courage in our everyday lives. You know, where many of us in Australia have a, really high standard of living we're a really privileged country many of us some some struggle here but on the whole as a society we're really well off you know and i really want us to to look at the world and and use some of that privilege that we have to to make more of a difference because you know these people that they did everything they're trying to do everything and we increasingly are doing nothing why do you think that is i fear that now with all this horror available at our fingertips that you, it's easy to feel really overwhelmed, you know, and hopeless and that you can't make a difference. So I think we all need to look at that and, and remember how much difference one brave individual can have. Look at Greta Thunberg, you know, 16-year-old mm-hmm. girl managed to wake up the world to the climate emergency. And there's just so much work that needs to be done, no matter what your passion is, if it's human rights, the environment, there is, there's so much out there that, yeah. that, that we need to do. More of us need to look and think, well, what am I doing? It's not enough just to kind of, you know, be against these things. Of course, we're all against what's happening to women in Saudi, Syrian war, people starving in Yemen. We're all against it. What are we doing? It reminds me of that statement that came out a few years ago, or the phrase, the standard that you walk past is the standard Mm. that you accept. And there's a whole region where there are really awful things happening to everyday people. I think we think that these horrible things won't affect us, Mm -hmm. you know, that we can safely kind of keep our distance. But the problem is when all the rules are broken and there is no international system to uphold some kind of rule book, then it actually does affect our lives here. Because how are we ever going to act on climate change? You know, when something as tangible as Syrians being murdered live on our timelines for nine years, we don't act on. You know, we're rising authoritarian China in our region. Mm. Lack of, you know, there's a real concern about democracy and human rights in this region as we see an expansionist China under Xi Jinping. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, the worst human rights crisis right now is Beijing locking up a million people just because of their religion in the yep. in the north of China, the Uyghur people. I've investigated and covered that story. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard for us as a country to turn around and tell Xi Jinping, look, you, you can't. You can't do that, you know, right. like that's, that's terrible. That's breaking international law and human rights conventions and blah, blah. When, when we, we have double standards and mm-hmm. we haven't spoken out on other issues and we have lost our moral high ground, you know, we urgently ne- need to get that back because... Um, if you if you look around the world right now, it's terrifying, and I yeah. think this impunity that I witnessed so up close and firsthand in the Middle East, it is starting to seep into our lives here. Politicians just don't answer questions anymore. This is not the kind of world I want um, mm. for my kids, and I and I think a lot of us don't want the world to be the way it is it is now. So I 
I think we all need to just make a bit more self-sacrifice to try and stand up and, and work to make it a better place. Sophie's new book, We Can't Say We Didn't Know, Dispatches from the Age of Impunity, is out now. We'll have more from Sophie McNeil tomorrow. This is the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9 and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. That's it for the Informer Daily. Thanks to the fine folks at CRN, Ange Berry, Rachel Tyler-Jones, Jordan Johnstone, and Michael Strauss. And super, super huge thanks to Nicholas Kamenu-Sandry, Emily Johnson, and Dee Mason. We'll be back tomorrow. I'm your host, Arian Pollitz. Mahalo. The Informer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. And of course, the members and donors of Joy 94.9. You can help us by visiting joy.org.au and become a member or donate. Any amount helps us bring you community-powered radio. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.